and thank you for listening to Let the Right Films In. This is part one of our year-end extravaganza. We're going to be releasing three episodes featuring several of our friends, past guests, new guests, I don't know, maybe some ghosts in there somewhere, who have been haunting this studio the whole time. The studio being a bedroom. It's fine. I feel like we should clarify that they are all friends, though. It's <laughs> like friends and also the, they are these all friends. other people. <laughs> Speaking of friends, or at least people pretending to be friends, that is my co-host, <laughs> Kayla Sainanj. What up? This is the first of our three bonus episodes. We're going to be releasing one on Monday, the day that this dropped. Maybe not the day that you're listening to it. Needs that qualifier in there. <laughs> on Wednesday and one on Thursday, each featuring a few of our friends and a lot of music that we really enjoyed from movies this year. Kayla, we're going to introduce each of these episodes with a movie from each of us that we loved in 2016. And we're going to start with you. Kayla, yes. what is a movie from 2016 <laughs> that you truly adored and you can't pick Collateral Beauty no matter how strongly you feel about it? <sighs> You had to bring it up. <sighs> Yuck. Uh, no. The movie that I'll be talking about today is the Leica Studios Kubo and the Two Strings. Kubo and the Two Strings is a beautiful animated film about a young boy who lives in a cave with his mother. And he accidentally sets off an old grudge between his mother's family who happen to be gods from the stars. <laughs> you know, family reunions are just, just the it's, worst. it's a pain. Yeah. So he sets off on a journey to find a suit of armor that was worn by his father so that he may fight the moon god and end the ridiculous grudge. And along the way, he is joined by a wise-cracking monkey <laughs> and an amnesiac beetle uh, voiced by Shirley Theron and Matthew McConaughey, respectively. And it's just one of those movies that... Uh, it's it's not perfect, that's for sure. Uh, it has some... I, I will admit that it has some tonal issues. Like, it can't really decide if it wants to be funny or dead-on serious. But it's such an achievement in animation and overall i think the story is a refreshingly simple kind of like gray area like nothing is necessarily good or bad in this movie and i think that's such a refreshing aspect to bring to children's theater like to have that kind of a complex uh heart i guess because so many kids movies are here is the bad thing we must fight the bad thing here is the good thing we must protect the good thing but throughout this movie there's a lot of interesting um quandaries i guess like kubo's mom was not honest to him he did not know that all of this was going on with her family he didn't really know about his dad outside of like a story that she would tell him before fall like before falling back into a, like, fugue state, I guess. A, a, a huge part of the movie is that Kubo is a child who has to take care of his mother, so to speak. And, well, I guess not so to speak. <laughs> a huge part of the story is that Kubo has to take care of his mother because she was gravely injured in escaping from her family and bringing him to the place where he now lives. And just the whole thing overall is just this, like, grand sweeping story that, is still somehow very simple at its heart. I don't know. Tyler watched it 
very recently and it was really fun to like revisit and kind of go over all of it again because on the first viewing of it I saw it in theaters and was just completely blown away and just uh left the theater feeling like Leica was going to take over the world, basically. I don't know, Tyler, what were some of your thoughts on it? Well, alas, they did not even take over the box office. Okay, well, okay, see, the thing about Leica is that I, I don't think any of their movies, I don't even, I, I might be wrong about this, but I don't even think Coraline really performed crazy well at the box office, but I think that what they're doing is more important than box office numbers, and I think that they their personal credo to strive for originality and for, you know, that, like I said, the complexity, bringing complexity to children's films is really important. And even if it's not necessarily reflected in box office numbers, which it would have been if they'd done a little bit of a better marketing campaign, probably, but that's none of my business. (laughs) Yes. Literally not your business. It's their business. They put a lot of work into Maybe it. Maybe they should hire me. I don't know. No, it, it, it was a very, it, it was a very lovely movie. It, uh, just watching, like, like watching the things that are happening on happening on screen is a real treat, and it has some tremendous music as well. There are some the the tonal issues that you mentioned, and certain certain events in the plot that just seem very sudden. Uh, did not. It, it was. <laughs> I like to think that they get like half, like they get like most of the way through making the movie, and they're like, "Oh my god, stop motion is so hard. Why did we do this?" And so they're just like, "Quick, just get be done with that part." Yeah, like, that's definitely what it felt like. like just, <laughs> what if we just end the scene here? We'll just end the scene here. It's fine. But it's it was very stunning to watch, and I do think it comes together pretty. Uh, it, it pretty lovely ending um so it's it is flawed in ways that i don't feel as much about maybe some of their other others i don't know maybe Coraline's the only one i think when you can clearly see so much effort being put into a film Mm -hmm. it's a lot easier to forgive the flaws whereas like for like with disney for instance when things are rushed in a disney movie it's like okay but you had time to fix this and you had budget to fix this (laughs) Uh, you could see the effort from like on screen too (laughs) just wondering how did they do that and then they show you a time lapse video (laughs) at the end you're like oh my god that's exactly what i yeah so one of the coolest scenes of this movie and not i don't want to spoil it too much because i since these are pretty new movies i don't think that we should do that but um there's a scene where there is a giant skeleton monster that needs to be fought and just the entire Early on. It's, it's still but like the entire thing is just so like oh my god somebody made 400 puppets and moved them around with their hands and took pictures of it and made this happen yep. it's it's incredible and the and fun, it looks so cinematic it it just they have a great like i i am a huge stan for like a studios i love every movie that they've put out like i I like the box trolls. I don't love the box trolls. But Paranorman is, like, my favorite children's Halloween movie. I love Coraline. I, I'm so excited to see where they go now. I think 
It does bear noting, however, I, I am a little bit nervous for the future of Leica because their concept artist, Ian McNamara, uh, this was his last film with them. So I'm wondering if that will entail like a total revamp or if they'll just kind of, you know, piggyback off of what they've already Where's it going? done. I, I don't know. It just says it's his last film. But this is a, a truly stunning film. It is not without its faults. But it is something that I think is definitely worth seeing. I really wish that it had done just a little bit better at the box office because just to, it feels horrible to see that much effort and love put into something and to have it lose to, like, Secret Life of Pets. <laughs> is a fine, it's fine, fine movie. <laughs> but it's not... It's not, it's not the same. It's not the same level of commitment or dedication, and it's not the same level of, of art, even, I would say. This is where you hope for, like, a Best Picture win to maybe goose some Blu-ray sales or something, you know? Possibly. I mean, they were nominated for The Box Trolls and, I think, Coraline? It's going to get nominated. It's just a matter of whether it beats out Zootopia and Moana. Oh, it's no Moana? Uh, no, Moana's in the cutoff date. Never mind. Yeah, everything that's come out is, is yeah, within yeah. the cutoff date. I always get, like, the Oscar and the Grammy cutoff dates mixed up. Or, like, up the Emmys are weird, too. There's so many the, the Oscars <laughs> are simple compared to the others. Just did it screen before the end of the year. Yeah. But, yeah, so I would highly recommend this movie. Um, it is, if you are looking for something to watch with your whole family over the holidays, perfect. Like, mm-hmm. the exact amount of moving and fun and, like, also, if you're trying to avoid, like, uncomfortable politic arguments, like, this is a good movie that has none of that. <laughs> Whereas, if you're going to go with, like, Zootopia, you're probably going to have to have an uncomfortable conversation with your racist uncle afterwards. <laughs> Which is his fault and not yours. Exactly. But, you know, but sometimes if you just want to not, not do it, time. this is a great movie to use for that. So, <laughs> yeah. Um... It's out on DVD and Blu-ray, <laughs> and I'm assuming streaming on places, so... <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, I'm also into Kubo, so good pick, Kayla. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my pick today uh, for this episode is The Fits. Uh, it is a very small film. So small. See, very small. <laughs> you probably haven't even heard of it. It's... <laughs> But uh, the the fits is uh, the director the feature directorial debut of Anna Rose Homer. Um, you might see it popping up more now with the year end list out as something that is very high on several year end lists. And like, what what is that? Why is it higher than Deadpool? Um, the fits is about a young black girl who at the start of the movie is training to in boxing with her brother uh, and shows. It's shown to be very solitary, but she fall she's but she sees this dance troupe of um just these very energetic and happy and very joyous uh, black girls, and she falls in love with that. And so we see her fall in love with dance. We see her struggle, but then find herself in dance. But then the fits that are the title of the movie start happening. These girls, these old, uh, especially the older girls, start getting these fits, and it becomes pretty clear that they represent um, puberty, I think it's safe to say. It's very much like a coming-of-age movie, um, and she's terrified of this, and the girls who have them, it's just this mystery, nobody knows why it's happening, but the girls who have them feel very 
positively about it afterwards. And um, the, the plot details aren't even that big in the movie. It's the way that it's told. It is very... It, it, it is... It is very thoughtful and a bit weird and abstract in how it tells this story, but the performance by the young girl Royalty Hightower is very impressive. The music, it's... I love the music in this so much. It's like this lonely saxophone when she's by herself, but then when when you see her finding herself with this group and kind of feeling this joy, it swells into something bigger and more rhythmic and more... And it's just, there are so many sequences that, that are very beautiful. It's just a wonderfully done movie about this young girl and her finding herself, learning what she loves, and just growing older and being terrified of it, but then, as it happens, embracing it. As you do. I guess, yeah, I mean, that, I get like, I don't know if that's a spoiler, but just, it's... It's all about the experience in this movie and going with her on this journey. And I just love that, like I said, the music is very idiosyncratic, but wonderfully used. And the camera work is incredible, too. The way they film the dance sequences, where you can see her movements, but you can also catch her face. And you can see how her face evolves as she's figuring out her dance. Uh, these long, lingering shots that really draw out what the character is thinking. Um, it, 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 it's just fantastic, and I cannot wait to see what Anna Rose Homer does next. It is free on Amazon Prime, um, which I'm sure at this point, a lot of people, it's like not as easy as getting Netflix, but you can share it with someone. You know, for close, I'm we unfortunately actually have two Amazon Prime accounts yeah, in our family like household. One, one of us can share with you, but <laughs> it, it, that's it's one of the I I've been I've talked on several podcasts recently about how Amazon is doing a great job of acquiring the rights to these small indie movies that are breathtaking and kind of giving them a place where they can live instead of just fading into obscurity and only existing on these lists. So if you do have access to Amazon Prime, please give it a shot. Uh, it's definitely Definitely not for everyone. It is, like I said, it is quite abstract, but... I have not seen the movie, but I sat in on the last, like, half hour of it about when I got home from work, and I would say it's definitely, from what I gathered, it's a film made by, like, film people for film buffs, (laughs) in a way. It's very much, it's a visual experience, it's a musical experience, it's not, like, a linear, uh easily digestible film like yes. it's it's gonna take like it would t- it That's takes work <laughs> it is not easily digestible you do have to pay attention give over most give over most of your attention to it but it is worthy of that and yeah that's uh, the fits it's it's beautiful and i'm very glad i got a chance to see it uh also the fits is only 72 minutes and uh which means while it is a very dedicated watch, it is a shorter watch. And so you know, just fit it into your life that way. It'll be great. But um yeah, that is the first edition. This is this is the first edition of our year end extravaganza. You're about to hear a bunch of our friends talk about some other movies that we uh, so, you know, some of which we we love, others of which we like, you know, but the beauty of having so many people on is the diversity of opinion we can get. Right, Kayla? Yes. And also, it should be noted, this episode is fairly family-friendly. Yeah. You will notice that I did not swear a single time, so I can't remember whose mom or dad it was that said that I swear too much, but there you go. Did this episode just for you. <laughs> <laughs> 
But yes, and to make sure to check the show notes for timestamps, uh, we spoil very few of the films in this series, uh, but we the guests make a point to point out when they're about to spoil something, and I will have every timestamp for every movie in the show notes, where you can also find links to our guests' work. Please check them out. They do some great podcasts, websites, music. Yes. Um, but yeah, thanks also, for listening. And... actually, wait, I would like to rescind what I just said, because I think I swore during the Ghostbusters segment. But other than that, I didn't swear during the Kubo segment, which is actually for children. <laughs> we'll put Ghostbusters at the end. <laughs> that is with special guest. Eva Friedman. My wife. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Thanks for listening. Uh, Let us know if you check out any of these movies and how you feel about them. If you agree with us, find us in all the usual places. We're not going to go over them now because... That would be ridiculous. And we have guests to get to. Yes. So now, guess. I don't know what is Liz Smart from the Now Screaming podcast. Thanks for coming on, Liz. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. And what is the movie from 2016 you brought before us? Uh, my movie is Zootopia, the animated uh, film from, I guess, Disney. Yeah, it is Disney. Uh, and I, I chose Zootopia because I feel like uh, there was a lot of really good animated uh, pictures this year, um, all of which I really liked. But Zootopia had something really special for me. I feel like it was, mar- one, it was like a tricky kind of marketing where I thought it was kind of just going to be about like, oh, cohabitation of animals and we are all different, but we can all get along. And there is obviously like a thread of that in the movie, but it ended up being so much more about prejudice and the very intricate like microaggressions of prejudice, which I was not expecting. And that really, especially like in today's world like really resonated with me in a way that I was just shocked by because I feel like as much as I love Disney I'm totally a Disney Disney girl for life but the messages can often be very easy and Zootopia really out of the gate had a lot to process um this whole message of like prey and predators and what that means and all these stereotypes that animals have that humans also have and ascribe to each other that we don't even think about, but that, you know, come up. And it was, it was just really surprising and amazing to watch. And um, not only was it really amazing to see this kind of like story of racism play out in 2016, but it was also not 
And I really appreciated this, not a perfect metaphor of like, well, these animals are white people and these animals are black people, which would also be really easy to do. Um, it was way more complicated and complex than that, which I really admired that they weren't, they were not trying to tell a specific, like make a specific metaphor about a historical event or whatever. It was, it was very allegorical of just prejudice in general and how not only can people be prejudiced, but people who are victims of prejudice can also have prejudice against other people and other, in this case, other animals. Um, and that, the minority and majority can have prejudices against each other verse about strength and weakness and all of that, that it, it would just, it just really shocked me and amazed me um, to watch on screen. So I, I, that was of all the animated pictures this year, that one really stood out for me. And it even got into how unintentional, like these, the, the prejudices are oftentimes, yes. and even when they come from, places of good intention how that can go Absolutely. awry yes and how to handle them and i think that uh, of course this is a this is a movie that adults can enjoy but also for children like how you can easily offend someone and how when that's pointed out to you you need to graciously apologize and see it from their point of view and not react you know with anger and but when people when someone may be prejudiced against you if you see that it's not coming from a place of cruelty you have a way to you know, there it, it gives you a it gives children uh, who have who are experienced prejudice a script to work with, and I think that's incredible. Like that's just amazing. Yeah, it has a lot of patience and understanding to it, and never once feels like it's chiding or wagging its finger or anything. Definitely, it's a smart it's a smart film. It's very like intelligent, and it speaks to the intelligence of people. Yeah. It was a very. It could be a very rough one. So I worked at a video store for a while, as our <laughs> listeners will know. And let me tell you, some people had very strong feelings about Zootopia and how political it was. Have you not seen most movies? Most movies yeah. have morals. Like, most yeah. stories have morals. And I mean, and I and I know there's people out there who feel like, oh, this is a movie and it shouldn't have politics in it or whatever. And there's an agenda. But, like, I think that's how we learn. Like, we learn from our media and... You know, like, there's politics in everything, it, whether people see it or not. This one just happened to have a little bit more of a a, a strong message of acceptance and uh, and peace, which was, you know, How some people can't deal with. I know, horrible. Really what were they thinking? Some nerve Disney. by them to try to slip that bias, you know? And I, I, it's actually quite the coincidence because I retweeted a tweet by the um, writer Angie Han earlier, and she kind of summed it up pretty nicely with, not all movies are billed as political, but all movies make choices about which stories are worth telling and how, which is to say, political. Abs- yeah, <laughs> exactly. Works as a nice little defense of Zootopia. Absolutely, and I love it. I think the script is incredible. And even besides that, I find it really funny and some incredible voice performances. It is funny. Yeah, Jason Bateman as Nick Wilde, who's the fox, is great. Uh, and uh, J.K. Simmons is the mayor, who's a lion, and he's hysterically funny and jenny slate i've always forget but it's like amazing to hear jenny slate's voice i love it she just has a place in animated movies about animals forever apparently (laughs) she does it's perfect i watched the secret life of pets like the day before i rewatched this and it's like she's everywhere everywhere i love love jenny slate (laughs) no definitely a really incredible thing all around did you have any uh, final thoughts you wanted to say about zootopia no, I, I would just highly recommend it to anyone listening who hasn't seen it. Uh, it is, like like you said, it's not just political. It's also very fun, very funny, great all-around film. Love it. 
Well, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for having me. You do have your own podcast with a very different material from Zootopia. Yes. Uh, now Screaming is now a horror movie podcast. We watch all the horror movies currently streaming on Netflix. Um, and you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, anywhere you listen to podcasts at Now Screaming. Our Facebook is Now Screaming. Our Twitter is at Now Screaming Pod. And you can visit our website, which is NowScreaming.com. Thank you. I just revisited, this was from a while ago, but I revisited the Odd Thomas episode because I was really feeling some Anton Yelchin content. Yes. And it's a a very good episode. And I see your most recent one was Hellraiser. Yes. And (laughs) I look forward to diving into that about as far away from Zootopia as you could get. Oh, yeah. It's it's a horror. It's a real, real bad time. (laughs) Well, uh, thank you so much for being on again. Thank you. My pleasure. sitting with brian leak the editor-in-chief of substream magazine thanks for joining us today brian no problem thanks for having me on and what 2016 movie did you want to talk about today Uh, i wanted to talk about midnight special which uh came out in march i believe um it's directed by jeff nichols who isn't really a household name i'd say but uh i think for the most part people would know maybe mud uh take shelter Probably his two more popular films. Um, he also has Loving that is in theaters now, I believe, which I admittedly have not seen yet still. So, um, And there, there are quite a few other movies this year that I could definitely see making my top ten or maybe even just like taking the top spot being Moonlight, La La Land, uh, Manchester by the Sea. I have not seen those things because I live in the middle of nowhere. So if I want to like see indie films that'll be in the theater, I've got to travel quite a ways. It's just not always possible. So as of now... That being said, Midnight Special is my favorite film of the year. Excellent. I've watched uh, Midnight Special myself, but it's been a little while. It's, of course, starring Michael Shannon, the uh, Jeff Nichols mainstay. And uh, what is it about Midnight Special that uh, stuck with you so much? Well, first of all, like I said, like I don't get to do a lot of those things. Like uh, like most of our friends who are in the film industry, they get to go to premieres a lot and see movies like a week or so before you know, most of us, I don't really get that opportunity because of where I currently live, but this was the one film this year where I got to see an advanced screening, and it was at the Mission Alamo Draft House in San Francisco, and Jeff Nichols was there for a Q&A, and he introduced the film. So, right off the bat, it was kind of a more special circumstance compared to, like, any other film I've seen this year, and I, I was pretty sure I would like the movie because I loved everything he had done before that. But it immediately just felt like a classic to me. Like, it it very much is a love letter to, like, family-friendly sci-fi from the 80s, like, obvious E.T. and Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Um, 
I don't think he's trying to hide that in any way. It's very obvious. So it, it just immediately felt like a movie that, you know, will... It feels timeless in a lot of ways for somewhat of an indie film. And even though it didn't do great at the box office, I think it did like a little over $6 million with like an $18 million budget. Um, I think it's a movie that'll kind of find its audience over time. And uh, yeah, I mean, for the most part, there just wasn't really anything I didn't like about it. I mean, you've got a great cast, Kirsten Dunst on fire. I mean, following up season two of Fargo, um, this being the next thing that came out after that. And then Michael Shannon, who just doesn't really do anything wrong. And Joel Edgerton, who is never an actor that comes to mind for me when I'm thinking of, like, best currently working actors, but coincidentally, he's in three of my absolute favorite movies, being Animal Kingdom, Warrior, and Midnight Special. So, um, yeah, it just, it just everything about it. I, I didn't expect it to... I, I'm not going to get spoilery, because I really do want people to see this and experience it for the first time, but it goes a lot more, like, full-blown sci-fi than I expected. I thought it would be very low-key in that area, but the third act really kind of amps it up more than I expected, especially given his other films being very subtle with uh, that kind of stuff. But yeah, for the most part, I just it, it was immediately very memorable to me, resonated with me. I bought it on Blu-ray the day it came out and watched it again that day, and uh, it's been a couple months probably or more since I've seen it again, but... Uh, I, I see myself watching it pretty often. It does fit that kind of mold that we don't that we don't feel as much anymore. Um, I guess Star Wars is the maybe the original, but the that that family sci-fi movie that works for everyone in the family and kind of has that I don't know that adventure and uplift and sense of mystery to it. That really, I mean, I I wonder it, it it's kind of a Maybe not a mystery, but it is too bad it didn't catch on more because I do think that it could have been a movie that uh, wider audiences really appreciated. I don't know if it was just, I don't know, maybe it was a little too slow for some people or just never had a chance because um, it wasn't by a Spielberg or a big studio or anything. But um, And you didn't even mention the internet's favorite actor, Adam Driver. Yeah, who is, like, oddly the comic relief in the movie, mostly. Um in a kind of subtle way, he's not flat out telling jokes, but he is kind of there to cut the tension a bit, because it is mostly a very serious film. But yeah, for me, like, I, I mean, I totally agree. I feel like it is a movie that would, like, widely be appreciated. Like, pretty much anyone who enjoys any type of, you know, full of heart, soulful family movie could enjoy it. There just happens to be sci-fi in it, but it very much is, like, a familial type um, setting and theme and... It just happens to have this special kid who has some type of power, and um, there is a cult involved, and so there are these kind of strange elements, but um, but yeah, I mean, just everything about it is great, and for me, I feel like there just wasn't, I, I didn't see much, if at all, like a marketing push behind it, um, besides you and maybe like James Shotwell and a couple others, like I haven't even seen or heard anybody even talk about the film within our circles, you know, so... Um, that's one reason I wanted to talk about it. If this at all, like, gets people interested, then I, I really want more eyes on it, because I think it's a really great film that very much deserves a wider audience. Um, but yeah, Adam Driver, I, I for some reason, I always just kind of forget he's in it, but, um, yeah, I mean, he, he's great. Like I said, Kirsten Dunst is great, Michael Shannon, Joel Edgerton. The kid in it, uh, what is his name? Jaden, Jaden Lieberher? He, I, I feel like almost any 
capable child actor probably could have pulled off the role. There isn't anything specifically about him, I think, that really, you know, does what needs to be done. He has, like, very little dialogue in it, hardly anything at all. Basically, he just had to emote, and he does it well. It's totally fine, but I don't think there's anything specifically about him necessarily that really sells the role, but I don't think you really needed anything there. Um, there's hardly any dialogue in the movie in general. I mean, it's very light on dialogue, which is part of the reason I like it. It's, uh, like, David Wingo's score is incredible. Like, it's so it's almost cool. like a, its own character in the movie. Um, it's just always there and very present, and uh, it really sells the scenes. There's a lot of intensity, and um, just really, really great scene. And, I mean, for the budget, like I said, I mean, there's this there's a scene that I think was shown in the trailers at a gas station when the kid kind of pulls down a satellite from space that explodes everywhere coming down like a meteor shower and it's a very very cool scene and there's other very uh very cool visual scenes in it as well that were surprising to me yeah it does deliver on that sci-fi element that it spends so much time just hinting at and uh those i i find all those scenes very effective too and very um I don't know, just kind of magical in their own way. They they really work for me, especially like you said, David Wingo's incredible score. Um, yeah, it's it's one of my favorite of the year by far. And that was another cool thing about going to that screening. Uh, Mondo pressed the theme and another song from the score on uh, seven inch vinyl, and they gave it out for free at the screening. And I happened to meet uh, Jeff Nichols afterwards. He signed it for me and stuff, so that just made it all the more you know all the more a special thing that has stayed with me. That is an incredible keepsake, man. That's that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I just I, I really think anyone who has any interest in like the movies I mentioned, like E. T. and even newer stuff like um, like Super Eight, you know, stuff from J. J. Abrams. Anybody who has any type of interest in that, I think, would really really enjoy this movie. And uh, I, I hope people will check it out. Absolutely. You know, Stranger Things. Where's the Stranger Things crowd? They can yeah, exactly. Stranger Things too. I mean, it's it's definitely that audience. I. I uh, it, it is really a bummer that this didn't take off. But like I said, I do feel like it has that classic element and that feel that will last a very long time. And I, I think that as word of mouth kind of carries it along, I think it will find a wider audience, maybe become kind of a cult favorite later on, which I'm fine with. You know, those are some of the best movies. So hopefully, if anything, it gets it gets that kind of response. Got to call up Netflix and tell them, hey, in that uh, If You Like Stranger Things bar you got there, just put my next special number one. Yes, that's, that's a perfect choice, yeah. All right, uh, Brian, thanks for being on today. No problem, man. I appreciate it. Hopefully we can have you. you on again one day soon. Yeah, absolutely. And as I mentioned, you are editor-in-chief of Substream.com. Do you want to tell us a little bit about Substream? Uh, Substream, we cover music and film primarily, a little bit of comedy, occasionally television. Um, it is SubstreamMagazine.com, Tyler. Come on. Um, but yeah, Tyler writes for us too. And, um, we put out a print magazine bi-monthly and, uh, yeah, check it out. That's true. I should say, you know, I'm, I'm totally biased. I uh, did an interview with Rob <laughs> Zombie and Aesop Rock and I look forward to doing some more uh, some yeah. online new stuff, but, uh, yeah, thanks for coming out and we look forward to talking to you soon. No problem. Thanks Tyler.
right, and now joining me is Megan Moore, the managing features editor of Modern Vinyl and a co-host of the Misaligned Podcast. Megan, how's it going today? Pretty good. And how are you, Tyler? Oh, I'm doing well, thank you. And thanks for joining us. Now tell me, what 2016 movie would you like to talk about? Finding Dory. And you know why I'm going to talk about Finding Dory? Because forever and a day ago, we talked about Finding Nemo. And I think we were talking about how Finding Dory was coming out this year. But that episode was long lost. And Finding Dory has since come out. And I've seen it twice this year. And it's just, you know, it puts a nice cap on that. And it closes the story nicely. It was so open-ended. Like, you, the podcast was lost to time and just never happened. And much like Pixar sweeping in with Finding Dory with another part of the story, we can now use Finding Dory to close that chapter of the podcast like with on a, on a happy note this is true we can and i mean in terms of disney movies i've seen this year i cried through the whole thing the first time i watched it because i'm a sap and i mean i cried seeing the opening with baby dory who is the true winner of 2016 nothing is cuter than baby dory although baby- i do have to say kayla's cat might you know be a close contender ah, the, the cat's fine she's whatever <laughs> uh, they did like almost went in uproot with that you know tear-jerking prologue just like 10 minutes of oh hey happy 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 sad now here's the rest of the movie have fun it's like what happened with up they yeah. give you this nice backstory of carl and ellie and then boom it hits you right in the feels those feels pixar really likes oh, to get us in the feels they really do I mean, so, last year it was Inside Out. This year it's Finding Dory. Who knows what next year is going to bring us? Because certainly Cars 3 isn't going to be a tearjerker. I was going to make the joke. I was going to make the joke. <laughs> beat but you to beat it. me to it. So uh, besides uh, Finding Dory, who is certainly one of the most adorable creatures on the animated planet, uh, what else did you like about Finding Dory? What, what, did, uh, what worked for you about it? Oh my gosh. Let's talk about those sea lions. Gerald everyone is gerald we might not have a unibrow like gerald but we certainly have been barked at like gerald and i think that idris elba voicing i can't remember the name of his sea lion but the suave british one what an excellent addition to the disney universe (laughs) also you know all the swoons for idris elba and in terms of other characters let's see it was great to see marlin and Nemo again, and getting kind of a little bit of what happened after finding Nemo, which I thought was pretty cute. And oh, we we can't we can't not talk about Becky. Ah, uh, Becky. Becky the bird. One of two Disney birds I've fallen in love with this year. The other being the chicken from Moana. See, I haven't seen Moana, so you had me at a loss there for a second with the bird. I was like, this, the seagull from uh, The Shallows? I don't know. That's the only bird I can think of. Hey, the seagulls from Finding Nemo made an appearance in this movie, too. That's true. They brought everyone back for a split they second. They did. And spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. If you haven't actually seen the movie, turn back now. But at the end of Finding Dory, there's actually a post credit scene. Which I thought was interesting since not a lot of Disney Pixar films actually have the post credit scene. 
I think the only one that really comes to mind is Monsters, Inc. Ah, uh, yes. But this post credit scene I enjoyed because it brought back the plight of what happened to the rest of the sea critters that were in the plastic bags at the end of Finding Nemo. You know, they have their own adventure to go on. They could do like a little, you know how there are like those little Toy Story movies they come out with on the side and how oh, DreamWorks yeah. is How to Train Your Dragon. Pixar could do a little one of those with the uh, other fish and their adventures in quarantine. True. Very true. And I do love the continuity of how dirty all of those plastic bags were, except for the shrimp. Because we all know that guy was such a clean freak. A lot of attention to detail by Pixar there. Yeah. And I love, too, that they even brought back the original voice cast for basically everything. Um, including the wonderful Alice and Janney as Peach the Starfish. <laughs> I do wonder, did they just get Willem Dafoe on the phone or did they actually, were they able to get him to come in for the one or two lines he had? I have no idea. I really mm. don't. You know, that'll be a fun bit of trivia one day. I'm sure they just like sent out a limo and like, hey, hey, Willem, six digits, just one line. Come on, man. Mm-hmm. But uh, I... I See, I, I love all the stuff that I don't even notice going in. I knew that Destiny sounded familiar. It's Caitlin Ol- Olsen from It's Always Sunny. Not yep. a person I was expecting, but I loved it. Uh, and then even just realizing that Kate McKinnon and Bill Hader played husband and wife fish. That's, that's, that's oh my gosh. Thing. And they don't even have that big of a role in the movie. It's just a fun little Easter egg, like Sigourney yeah. Weaver. Oh my gosh, good old Sigourney Weaver. You know, I wish my life was at least a little bit narrated by Sigourney Weaver. I feel like everyone would be much more positive. I think everyone wants, like, Sigourney Weaver or even, um, oh, oh my goodness, why can't I think of his name? You know exactly who I'm talking about, who we all want to narrate our lives. Are we going back to Idris Elba? No, although that would be nice. (laughs) Oh, oh my gosh, the old guy. I'm literally having... Ed O'Neill? No, 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 no. Or Albert Brooks? No, not even Albert Brooks, because he was uh, Marlin. I'm talking about in general. Um, Morgan Freeman. Oh, yes, Morgan Freeman. Now I yeah, feel so like, like a complete dingus for not voice, like every remembering GPS that. voice. Just you know, just plug in Sigourney Weaver in there, and it'll be a good time. Yeah, won't get you lost. She'll help you find your way through life. She helped Dory find her way back home. I will say, I was th- this movie because this felt pretty unnecessary like finding nemo felt like a nice story they did a pretty good job of they did a really good job of finding a reason to justify why this movie exists besides the boatloads pun not intended of money that it brought in (laughs) um because you know it kind of makes sense that dory is still having issues with her memory and kind of bringing a close to her story and showing how she can function in the world was very satisfying and you know maybe a few tears were shed along the way well i can say with honesty for the second time when i watched it shed those tears again when she found her parents just right in the fields again yeah they were so they put out all those shells all those shells all of those shells just for her but (laughs) but in good happy news i also loved the friendship that she forged with hank the septopus with three hearts yeah i was not totally sure where that was going because he was a little sinister well maybe not sinister but you know a little selfish at first but they really they really brought him along and 
you know, I have no idea how they do that without an octopus. An octopus almost is so effective that it feels a little bit like a cheat. But remember, he's not exactly an octopus. He's a septopus. They never explained how he lost his one tentacle, but he did. Yeah, and he just didn't want to go back out there for that reason. And, I mean, he's putting all all seven of those arms at risk now. Anything could happen. He's he's helping out at a school. This is true. And, you know, if I'm thinking back correctly to Finding Nemo, they had that little guy that inked himself. And then Mm -hmm. you see Hank get poked in the kitty touching tide pool area and he inks all over the place but doesn't make a cute joke like uh i inked myself or something like that guy like that cute little thing did but you do hear dory say oh it happens to everyone yep dory was very helpful with that you know he was very yeah i got I mean, that kind of sums up a lot of what I loved about Finding Dory. Does it, Do you have any f- the final thoughts on Finding Dory? The tears, the happiness, the joy, the, the family coming together and the making new friends? Is oh, there anything I mean, else you wanted to add on? It's, it's definitely your typical Disney heartwarming movie. And I think it's good that they also didn't give the otters a voice. I don't know who they would have gotten to voice those otters. But I will say that in today's day and age, the world could use more cuddle parties. Just maybe not, you know, on an interstate with traffic bearing down on them. Well, it's just, inauguration it day. Very badly. If you know you have a giant cuddle party blocking the presidential motorcade, that's okay. <laughs> that that presidential motorcade would be much more tolerable if that did happen. Yes. Yes, and the news I could actually see uh, Shepard Smith of Fox News. The unlikely news anchor on that channel just going, oh, isn't that adorable? This is the best. I just, I, I just have a hard time believing that it would end so well. Like, there wasn't even a fender bender. Everyone was paying such great attention to the road. And, I, I, you know, I, it was, I found it incredible, but I was very happy because it would have been very sad to see any of those otters have <laughs> one hair on their <laughs> lovely little heads touched. True. And it was an anomaly for California because California drivers aren't exactly the greatest. I have no idea what it's like to drive in California, so I would never deign to impugn their driving ability. (laughs) I've heard horror stories, so. I'm I'm sure they're great. (laughs) But that is a discussion for another time at another place. It is. uh, But that was Finding Dory. Uh, Thanks so much for coming on again, Megan. Hey, thank you for having me. Absolutely. And why don't you tell us a little bit about your work at uh, Modern Vinyl and Misaligned? All right. So Misaligned, we're actually doing our end of the year episode pretty shortly, where Deanna and I will be recapping some of our favorite albums, songs, etc. from this year. And the same actually goes with Modern Vinyl, where not only am I the managing features editor, but I also am still the site's, you know, resident interview gal. So I've got a few more interviews to push out before this year is over. And the end of the year stuff will actually be pushed out as well. Closer to the end of December. But all in all, we've got some great things lined up for you guys. And I'm excited for everyone to see them. Wonderful. So great albums, great interviews with people who made great albums. Uh, We will catch you in those places. Thanks again for coming on. Thank you for having me.
joining with me on this session is my co-host, Kayla Zainange. Hey. You're here. And joining us is, you know, not to play favorites, but one of our favorite guests. She stepped out of a recording session, recording a Christmas song uh, for her band Staircase Spirits. She's with us now, Eva Freeman. Hey, that's me. That's you. You're here. That's me. I am here. (laughs) Now, Eva. It's so exciting. What's up? Eva, what 2016 film did you choose to bring before the council today? This might come as a shock to everyone, but I I have chosen to present Ghostbusters. The other Kate McKinnon movie, other than Office Christmas Party, that came out this year. We don't talk about that. That's not happening. I haven't seen... I don't know anything about it to be able to speak to that, but I know that Ghostbusters is just very, very special to me. I was going to say, I did derail you from the start. Eva, why is Ghostbusters (laughs) your pick? Ghostbusters is my pick for two reasons, and those two reasons are Kate McKinnon and Leslie Jones. (laughs) They knocked it out of the park. I think if you were living under a rock and didn't know who either of those two were, you probably left that movie knowing exactly who they are and exactly what they're all about, which I think in comedy is a really great way to introduce yourself to the world. Hmm. So you were a fan of the 2016 Ghostbusters film? No, not at all. I hated oh, it. Okay. Well, <laughs> no, I only taking, liked those two. This is taking yeah, quite no, I, I loved it. Um, I was not as close or familiar to the original Ghostbusters series, um, so I can't really compare it to that. But I thought that this was just so much fun, and it was funny, and, like, I I was just so charmed by both Kate McKinnon and Leslie Jones, but especially Kate McKinnon and her feminine wiles. You are a big Kate McKinnon fan. Long established. As are we all. <laughs> I am. I I will never forget crying in a, or almost crying in a Target toy aisle because I found the Jillian Holtzman action figure. And I know that there are similar stories from, you know, girls who found that same action figure and also who found the, uh, the Patty, the Leslie Jones action figure. And it was just so cool to me to see a summer blockbuster with, like, an openly gay actress and she I know that for garbage reasons you know they're not allowed to say that the character was gay but like I think it was pretty obvious to anyone watching that she was and you know the only character with there were well there were two characters with sex appeal and neither of them were directed towards men it was like Kate McKinnon who was specifically being like attractive towards women and then you know Chris Hemsworth was like lady eye candy so like there was there was no one there that was like for the male gaze or whatever like this movie was about women for women and i i just soaked up every minute of it it was a truly incredible experience for me as well i didn't have any negative expectations for the movie because uh, honestly i think that everyone in the universe has deluded themselves about how much they think that they love the original Ghostbusters because it's really not that good. Like, it super isn't. It's pretty much only funny because of who's in it. And when you know that Bill Murray is, like, a misogynist, like, woman beater, that makes it zero funny at all. And so when you have 
a movie completely taken away from whiny man babies and reinvented into an incredible like lady love fest of friendship and also attraction and just I don't know it was just every second of it was so charming to me and so much fun that I just all of the outrage over it was is so stupid to me I can't believe that we literally wasted half a year where so many important actual awful things were happening on complaining about women being Ghostbusters. (laughs) Especially since, even if you did love the original Ghostbusters, everything from Splash to Power Rangers is being rebooted. So Ghostbusters is not that precious. Also, it's like, dude, like, we're, it's, it's not... (laughs) It already, it also already had, like, a sequel that wasn't that great. So it's not like we just resurrected this one little thing. No, you had to say you had to say Power Rangers. You, you had to open that can of worms. I did, but we're talking about Ghostbusters right now. <laughs> Focus. I know, okay. but it, it's against my code of ethics and morale to have the Power Rangers reboot brought up and for me not to complain about it. So <laughs> I will leave it there for now because I do think that Ghostbusters should have all of our attention, but I I just want all of your listeners to know how upset I am. <laughs> To be continued on your next appearance. <laughs> the Eva Rose Oh, I'll podcast. be back. <laughs> now, so you, you've talked about how Leslie Jones and Kate McKinnon are things that you enjoyed in the movie. What else did you enjoy about the movie? Like, what were, what were some things that really stuck with you? I enjoyed the final action sequence. Like, the whole final action sequence. Because I'm sitting there and, like, Kristen Wiig gets her badass moment. And then Melissa McCarthy gets her badass moment. And I'm like, holy shit, this is awesome. And then Kate McKinnon gets her moment, and it's better than everyone else's action sequence, and all I can say is that I'm very, very concerned now about the way that I feel about women holding guns. (laughs) This is true. I will say, during that entire sequence, I was pretty much internally and externally screaming. So, Yeah. yeah, there is a lot to unpack about Kate McKinnon looking the gun that's a great joke i (laughs) but i will suffice to say that it is one of the greatest moments ever committed to film in the history of hollywood it's very important and it's something (laughs) they like i don't know if i want kids but i would have them just so that i could sit down and show them that scene and be like this is where we came from like this is this is where Kate McKinnon became a rock star. (laughs) This is when my ovaries sprang to life. (laughs) Yeah, this is when I decided that I needed to procreate specifically because I needed to breed more Kate McKinnon lovers. Yes. That's the only reason. That's the only reason. And then I'll ruin it by popping in from, like, you know, on the doorframe and just saying, how about that Fall Out Boy song, though? Ugh, God, no. (laughs) That Fall Out Boy cover? It's bad. It's so bad. It's so bad that they cut it completely out of the movie. Well, it's almost completely out of the movie. So, but I know we have friends that are Fallout Boy fans, and I love all of you deeply. But it was bad. It's really bad. It's so. How bad. about it's the random the sequence of Kate McKinnon dancing? Because that was great. <laughs> yeah. A lot of dancing in this movie. That is one of the best parts of the entire movie, and I love it. <laughs> it just came out of nowhere, and I didn't understand why it was there. But I'm so grateful. And I know better than to complain about great things, even if I don't understand them. 
I feel and like what just, happened was that they were just like messing around and the camera was still rolling and it was so great that they just decided to leave it in. I'm pretty sure there was a lot of Jim Carrey-esque, like just let Kate be Kate and just capture it. We'll put it somewhere. She can come there. to my house and just do stuff. That's fine. I agree. <laughs> yeah, she can come be Kate around me anytime she wants. I'll just bask in the glory. At this point, this isn't even a love letter to Kate McKinnon. Please come here. It is a proposition. (laughs) Hashtag come to LA. (laughs) I will come to LA and we will all hang out if Kate is listening to this and wants to provide the money for me to do that. It's an all expenses paid trip on her bank account. Yes. But she gets to hang out with me and Eva, which is a priceless treasure. That is such a privilege. (laughs) And she can hang out with her Jillian Holtzman action figure. I'll even bring that to the party. Plus, we have the meerkat stuffed animal. Who doesn't love that? We have Quinn. That is true. (laughs) We have so so many things to offer Kate McKinnon. There's so much. I I don't see why she would turn us down. (laughs) I will say, even though Ghostbusters 2016 did not reach the levels of success we might have hoped for, though it did surpass other reboots like independence day resurgence (laughs) uh it does seem like it not all was lost we got a pretty fun we got a really fun movie out of it and also kate mckinnon now has her first solo lead in a film or like her first lead in a movie her movie Um, and you know like even it didn't go as well as we hoped but it did well enough and you know maybe if we talk about this movie enough on the internet one day it will be rebooted as a netflix original here's the thing i think that the movie did much better than expected given the amount of absurd vitriol thrown at it i think that it's also a movie that if people get over themselves and just sit down and watch it they will have so much fun that they will forget that they were ever absurdly salty for no reason about it being made so yeah i mean like real talk i have seen better movies I 100% have, but I've also seen worse movies, and I think it's it's just a fun action movie, like a fun family summer action blockbuster, and I think that if you go in, like, I think it's absurd to expect a Ghostbusters movie to be this, like, very in-depth cinematic experience. Like, it's it's a fun movie. Just let it be fun, and that's more than enough, and it achieves that in great lengths so much more than many of those other blockbusters well it's one of those double standard things where it's like we have a male-led movie that isn't very like this movie is good but like so many male-led movies are not good at all and people are like oh my god it's just supposed to be fun why can't you just let it be fun? But then if Batman it's, versus Superman then, was not fun. But then if it's uh. led by women, they're like, why isn't this a cinematic masterpiece in every regard? This is this is I told you that women can't be in movies. This is just what happens when you let women do things. Well, you can let Harley Quinn in things, apparently. Ugh, God, don't talk to me about that. <laughs> Hi, I'm here to ruin it for everyone. But yes, the point is, Ghostbusters is great. Kate McKinnon is great. I am excited to see where the... Well, obviously, Kristen Wiig and Melissa McCarthy already have giant careers. But I am excited to see where the careers of Leslie Jones and Kate McKinnon go after this. And, yeah, I think that you should watch it. <laughs> yeah, I, I now think... Now streaming on demand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that... Uh, I think Leslie Jones and Kate McKinnon are only going to go up from here. And I, I can't wait to see it. Same. Yeah. So, Eva, yeah. tell... Uh, 
we'll have you back on the podcast soon, I'm sure. Uh, yes. We we seem to enjoy your presence on this here uh, little creation of ours. She's my wife. That but, that those are both true things. <laughs> for those who cannot wait until your next appearance to like hear your work, where else can these fine people find your work? All right, so. I happen to be in two bands, actually. Uh, the first is Staircase Spirits. The second is Statues of Cats. Staircase Spirits is actually, uh, like Tyler mentioned, we are finishing up a Christmas song right now, um, which may or may not be out by the time this gets to your ears. Um, but regardless, on in January, we're planning on having our first EP come out, uh, Ghost Stories EP. So you can find us all over social media. Uh, Facebook and Instagram is Staircase Spirits. And Twitter is This Is SCS. And then Statues of Cats is Statues of Cats Everywhere. Uh, yeah, and we we would love to have you checking out more of our content. I can't believe you named your band after the decorations in this apartment. <laughs> I was just thinking it was ironic that you're in a band called Statues of Cats when you don't like cats. <laughs> I know, and it's it's really difficult, but I came into the band after they were already formed. There was nothing I could do. It is what it is. I just like to think of it as, like, shorthand for statues of meerkats. I was just going to say, can we get a shirt that says statues of, like, parentheses meerkats? Well, also- okay, I will give you a, um, a Let the Right Films in exclusive and say that there might be some meerkat merch in the in the pipeline yes. for Staircase Spirits. So if that's something they... If you're like, yes, I want something with meerkats on it. Like that is that is something that we're that we are uh, planning on delivering. The uh, hashtag meerkat nation. You really gotta yeah. advertise this out to the Lion King audience. <laughs> yes, yeah, Lion King and Kate McKinnon fans are are our target demographic. <laughs> Thank you, Eva, for being on the podcast. Forward to hearing your music, and we can't wait to have you on again. Same here. I, I can't wait to talk about San Junipero and uh, and the Power Rangers reboot. We have to do another San Junipero bonus episode. We do because I'm upset that I was not included in the first one. Once again, thank you for bringing a lovely movie to the table, and I hope that 2017 is a great year for you and that we all get to watch good movies next.